thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, gorgeous listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Wellness Room Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And this week we are talking about uh, what I think is actually a pretty important topic because we are living in a society now where Insta-famous lifestyles uh, are kind of drawing more and more attention to the female body and all the assets we have. And one of those assets tends to be something flaunted famously, and that is our breasts. Now, the challenge with uh, this fixation on breast size has unfortunately led to a, uh, I guess, a generation or many generations of women feeling some way inadequate about their, you know, their beauty and their form. And we understand there's a myriad of very complex psychosocial components as to why a woman would want to change her body. Um, so we, with lots of love and respect, we do this episode. But today we want to talk about breast plant uh, associated illnesses um, or mm-hmm. anything in Involved with basically implant illness. And I think, you know, a lot of women are so aware of, you know, the, the 80s and 90s, the, the big lawsuits about silicon implants. Um, and they've almost come to believe that modern implants are essentially, you know, are safe by comparison to those those days. But we're starting to see a new mm-hmm. wave of um, breast implant illness that is ruining lives. And I think we need to talk about that today. Yeah, it's really interesting because, uh, and in all honesty, I do not care what women, you know, 
do with their breasts if they want to have, you know, implants or reductions or augmentation or, or whatever it is that they do is totally, completely a personal choice. The reason that we're doing this episode is because we've actually had quite a lot of questions from people about, um, and I get this from patients all the time, particularly ones who do come in who have had, um, you know, breast augmentation, particularly with implants, asking if, you know, for our opinion, whether or not breast implant illness is actually a thing. Is this fake news or is it clickbait? Um, so that's the question that we're answering today. This is definitely not passing any judgment whatsoever as to, you know, the personal choices that you're making. We're fully supportive of whatever you choose to do with your body as long as it's your choice. Um, but I think we just want to answer this question. Is it, you know, is it a thing? And that's where we're going, right? Yeah. And look, and the reality is it's not a thing <laughs> um, because, you know, according to all medical circles, this doesn't exist. This is just a, almost like a, a, a chronic fatigue. You know, it doesn't have a really good label. There's not a, an easy criteria. There's not, not a simple test you can do to confirm its presence. Um, it comes in a complex, a myriad presentation of different signs and symptoms. And many of those symptoms are so common uh, that they are really really connected to this idea that the breast implant could possibly be causing it. So today we're going to have a chat about, you know, what breast plant illness could look like, um, what the signs and symptoms may be that are being overlooked. And this is something that mm -hmm. comes up, you know, I've chatted to a couple of naturopaths about this um, because specifically one of them works with uh, detoxification specifically, and it's commonly related to breast implant illness and she was just talking about you know how hard it is to detect and why it's so common that you know like regular health professionals gps medical specialists will overlook this um, and rightly so really because as the medical paradigm is what's common is common because it's common like <laughs> it's if you've got a, a stiffly yeah. nose or post nasal drip it's common because it's common um, and they don't connect all those dots together and that's you know and that's the biggest challenge with this particular um, sort of symptom package and I think, you know, when we talk to women about their bodies and being healthy and well, a lot of women will connect the dots to a time in their life where they changed their body through breast augmentation or implant. And then sometime after that, they start to notice the health decline. And that's pretty well, you know, a good flag to say, hey, something, something's not right and potentially could be the breast yeah. implant. And just to verify, I know you said that it's not a thing, but what she actually meant by that is it's not medically recognized yes. um, right now. So not that uh, we're not saying that like we, you know, don't believe anyone who, um, you know, says that that's what they're experiencing or that we absolutely validate that. And certainly um, there is a very logical physiological response that happens when, you know, someone has some sort of foreign body in their system. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk about the body's own natural defenses against those sorts of things, but also some of the exposures that happen um, and some of the things that can go wrong too. Um, so yes, medically speaking, there's not, it, it's not, on the DSM, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't have a, a necessarily like a, a diagnostic criteria and there's not necessarily diagnostic testing that can be done to validate it, but that does not mean that it's not a syndrome that may be associated with that. But hey, it's got um, an acronym, BII, so 
I reckon that makes it valid <laughs> um, because, you know, <laughs> it's becoming more and common and these things always flourish in the circles of, I guess, what we, we drift in, these alternative medicine circles because of observation time and time and time again and, you know, a massive body of observational and evidence-based, I guess, stories and, and presentations and eventually that body of evidence builds until there is a criteria which we can start to diagnose things and it will be added to, you know, diagnostic criteria and things like that. So, no, absolutely, uh, certainly not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just simply saying that if we were to talk to, you know, many medical professionals, let's say, what are you talking about? That's not even a thing. That's just a made-up term. <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, interestingly enough, like I, I had a look back through the research as to the earliest reports of something that I could find about this. And even back in 2001, there were studies around the effects of breast implants. So this is like almost 20 years ago now that mm. they've been looking at this. Um, and back then in 2001, they couldn't necessarily extrapolate, say, causation, but there was definitely a correlation. And there were two main symptoms that came up, and one was fibromyalgia-type symptoms, so pain and inflammation within the body, um, as well as chronic fatigue too. Mm. Um, now, I've also gone ahead and I've read the executive summary. Um, oh, I can't, ex I can't remember who wrote it. It was from... The, essentially like the U.S. Department of Health. Um, so I've read the executive summary about the safety of silicone breast implants. Now, the most up-to-date one I could find was around that same time. And essentially they were saying that they are safe because silicon in particular is used in so many household products. Um, mm. Now, that doesn't necessarily qualify safety as far as I'm concerned, but by their standards at that time, they were considered, you know, to be medically, um, medically safe. But anyway, let's get into um, maybe like what a symptom picture might look like for a patient who might be experiencing breast implant illness. And I think this is probably why it is so difficult to determine causation because there are so many vague symptoms that are associated with it and, um, you know, it may mimic so many other conditions and vice versa as well. Um, so uh, the biggest things that keep coming up are fatigue, brain fog, memory loss, um, you know, whole body pains that might be associated with things like um, fibromyalgia, inflammation, um, even like everything from poor sleep, insomnia, um, tinnitus or ringing in the ears, food intolerance, food intolerances, allergies, um, dehydration, urination, difficulty breathing, shortness of breath, anxiety and depression type symptoms. But also a really big one that comes up is autoimmune conditions as well. Um, and even Lyme disease type symptoms have been associated with breast implant illnesses. So you can see that the symptom picture can be completely as broad and random as, um, you know, I guess us women ourselves. <laughs> um, there is no very clear diagnostic picture for it. Oh, and I think um, um, <laughs> so. you just paused and I was like, oh, I, I totally find it uh, interesting because when I was having a look at things too, there was a lot of association with things like post-nasal drip, you know, um, sensitization, so allergies, chemical sensitivity. Um, so commonly women are presenting with these symptoms being treated for gut-based, allergy-based symptoms. Um, and so there's a lot of work being done, for example, on gut-based gut health and because it ties mm. in together that, you know, the allergy package, the autoimmune stuff. Um, but obviously you can only treat the gut uh, so much in the sense that this is a systemic 
chronic problem. And until that source of the problem is removed, then you will continue to treat the gut to no avail. So I think that was the interesting thing that we we're chatting to the naturopath I was actually having a chat to about was because of this idea that, um, you know, like why, why does the body respond well and who's at risk and why do like, if this is a problem and if breast implants are a problem, why don't all women who get them experience these problems? Um, you know, how, how is that to be? And it was really interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, as we know a lot about the body, we're going to talk about the implants essentially as a foreign body. Okay. So anything that you add to the body, anything surgically included into the body is considered a foreign body by body tissues itself, which is why if we have, you know, transplants and things, we have to use anti-rejection drugs and things like that to help prevent the body from forming a defense mechanism against it. Now, the same issue applies, like the same issue comes up with, say, for example, hip transplants, knee transplants, implants of other organs and other body sites. These implantations have the risk of developing what is known as a biofilm. And this is really where it comes down to the immune function. And this is how this whole cascade of quirky symptoms all gets tied together because it comes down to this idea of the biofilm, which is something that is developed around the implant, essentially a coating. And it can have, uh, it can entrap a layer of viral or bacterial matter, which keeps flagging the body as being foreign body needs to be helped, needs to be attacked. But because the biofilm was protected, so this protection is so effective that even some of the best antibiotics on the planet cannot penetrate biofilms and, you know, kill the bacteria within that. So, It's um, an interesting thing because it's very hard to detect. You can't blood test for it. You might see slight elevations in things like CRP and anything that signals inflammation in the body. But the biofilms themselves are very difficult to detect and also to eradicate. And this is really where the breast implant illness is, you know, starting to look at the the why are these implants so um, problematic for women's health. And actually, interestingly, too, not just women. There's a lot of guys now getting pec implants to, you know, to improve their body composition. Mm. They're getting jaw and chin implants, soft, malleable implants to improve their facial features. It could be after injuries, trauma, you know, car accidents. They do implants to help, you know, reshape Mm. the face. So it's not always just about vanity. It's about, you know, restoring, uh, I guess, someone's, you know, appearance after major injury and crisis. And that can, you know, things like mastectomies and any number of different things that can affect um, someone's well-being. So, yeah, we do understand why why these are being done because it is life-affecting to have a crisis of health. And it's also so wonderful that modern medicine can provide us an opportunity to kind of restore our self-esteem and, you know, a sense of who we are normally um, by using prosthesis, so to speak. But um, yeah, with that comes genuine risk. And I think that's probably why we were, we were prompted to do this today because we want to sort of say, well, look, like anything, there's always risks to it. Let's have a look at those risks. Let's see what possibilities there are for complications. And if someone is experiencing these signs and symptoms, is it worth having a chat and considering this as a possibility uh, for the source of their ongoing, I guess, unwellness? Yeah, and it's so interesting because so many people are talking about it um, nowadays and many plastic surgeons will certainly argue that there is no sort of pathophysiological process that explains what's going on because the material that they're using is considered to be very, very safe. Um, and, of you know, as we've said, there's no diagnostic test that can be done for it. And I think it would be, it would probably be unethical to perform, I don't know, maybe 
um, human testing on or on something like this. So I think that would be quite difficult. But just looking at it very objectively, so breast implants are either silicon or saline, right? So that's usually what they're made of. Um, and it is very well documented. Um, and this is by, you know, the, the plastic surgeon, you know, associations and by the research that, you know, you can have that capsular contraction. So there are four things that can happen, like, you know, that's well documented. So it's the capsular contraction. They can migrate out of the original areas. They can rupture. And so which means that the, the materials within the implant itself will leach into the body. And there also is rare cases of breast implant-associated anaplastic large cell lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. So there are, that, you know, is rare, but the other three are, you know, much more common that can happen. But the actual implants themselves can leach, leak, and sweat within the body. So often they have to kind of integrate into your own body tissue once the implant is actually made. Um, and this can create that autoimmune type response because it is it is a foreign tissue. It's like any kind of foreign object in your body, like what you talked about, Ash. So you can see why this system might, um, I guess, amount an immune response to this, considering it is or could be seen as an external threat. And so, you know, that would make sense why there's such a huge amount of immune response that happens with it or maybe there's that um that inflammation that goes with it as well and one thing that i didn't realize was that um for example with um silicone implants there's 40 different toxic chemicals that go with silicon implants Mm. 40 different toxic chemicals so there's like things like formaldehyde arsenic lead-based solders um zinc oxides all sorts of different things um you know talcum powders uh and there's a huge list you can you can easily google that and it'll come up and it'll show you what's there and in any other normal circumstances we wouldn't be ingesting those things or putting them on or in the body um so it's just interesting that they're you know, there's this idea that there's a cosmetic procedure that does contain so many potential problems. Um, I just thought that that was really interesting. And I think a lot of people have the idea that they're only harmful or dangerous if they rupture. And, you know, that's an absolute misconception because we know that, well, obviously all those toxins and chemicals lie within the implants themselves. Uh, the reason they have them, they're like adjuvants. They're, they're designed to be able to the antibacterial antifungal effect essentially um, because you know saline implants are more prone to getting uh, bacterial or mold based uh, overgrowth and that's I think that's probably why mm. they've, they've added those things I'm obviously conjecture there but I'm just thinking how we preserve uh, a lot of different other substances and that's how we do that we use you know generally heavy metals and things for preservatives um but it's actually the shells themselves so let's just say it doesn't rupture let's say that's not the risk factor if it doesn't rupture you've still got the shell itself of the breast implant that is basically made of a silicon substance supposed to be non-reactive with the body but it still contains something called siloxanes and these are essentially um, also, <laughs> interestingly, estrogen mimickers. So these are also basically endocrine-disrupting yeah, compounds. Exactly. Um, so, you know, if it's not just the fact of the heavy metal risks, we're now looking at uh, ultimately these these endoestrogens, you know, being uh, dispelled through the body thanks to these implants so that's another source of challenge so this is where we start to see the endocrine disrupting component of these 
uh, implants. So this is when we start to get the cascade of effects on hormone reproductive cycles, thyroid function, like yeah. all of those knock-on effects because of that. And um, they mimic estrogen so well that they can e- easily amount to estrogen-based, estrogen-dominant-based conditions. So it's um it's something we're just not told isn't it i think a lot of women would go in with the idea of the cosmetic process of augmentation or implants you know enlargements but they wouldn't necessarily realize the potential risks and how the body has to um accept this implant um into its its structure which it doesn't do very well so yeah exactly and i was really shocked to see some of the ingredients are in some of these things mm. um and ash i think we were talking um off air just about the idea of where the illness might be coming from and what they're postulating is that it could be what's called a biotoxin illness mm. so that is sort of created from like what you mentioned with the biofilm but also just from the, the actual toxin exposure but also from molds that actually form around the, I guess, the encapsulation of the actual um, implant itself. Um, And then what's given off from that is what's creating the actual biotoxin illness itself. Um, So, oh, there's, once you really get into it, it doesn't really sound that pleasant if you are having a response to it. Many, many people have breast implants and they're absolutely fine. I wonder if, um, you know, it's part of the techniques that the surgeon's using. I'm wondering if it's maybe the places where they're having them done and the experience and all sorts of different things that might, um, you know, go into how well it's received within the body as well. Um, yeah, Ash, I think that uh, if women do want to actually look at getting it removed then, um, so if they do want to have that explantation, uh, it's not necessarily as simple as just having the the implant itself just taken out of the body uh, because when when the implant is in there, it, it encapsulates itself within the own body tissue and it has this kind of protective mechanism or that scar tissue and the adhesion formation. And that actual tissue can be where the biotoxins are actually, you know, hanging out and that is full of toxins themselves. So that actual entire tissue has to be removed as well. Um, so what they're saying is that if you do want to have that explantation, you also need what's called an N block, E-N-B-L-O-C, which is essentially like a total capsulectomy. So essentially the surgeon will cut out the implant itself but completely intact as well as some of the surrounding tissue so that it doesn't contaminate or just doesn't disrupt the actual implant itself or contaminate the body anymore. Um, so I guess it would be kind of similar to having like a, a mercury like filling or an amalgam filling removed that there's a process that they have to go to to actually remove it. It's not just as simple as, oh, let's just take them out. Mm. Um, so I think that's certainly something that women have to consider as well. Because I think it's really interesting, the visual of, I mean, I've seen them and I've actually held one because I was at a, a medical conference uh, years and years ago and I was curious, This they were talking about these implants and the, they were handing around these things and to hold one that it felt so, like actually felt so nice. You know, the implant itself felt... <laughs> Like it was soft and and squishy, and it was like really kind of like it had lovely texture and feel to it. So, in almost like in a visual way, the way the the lady was describing the procedure and how simple it was and everything was, you know, they just put it under the the pec muscle to give it a very natural feel to not interfere with breastfeeding in the future and all this sort of stuff. And it just sounded like such an easy sell. I was like, wow, that almost sounds too good to be true. Funny enough, here we're having this conversation. In some ways, it is too good to be true. Um, 
but you know, it never crossed my mind when I was looking at these things. Not that I was thinking about it for myself. I was just curious, I guess, you know, I'm always curious about the body, how we change things. Um, you know, and I was looking thinking, Oh, so you just take that pouch and you just cut a little thing and you just pop it under there and it's done. Wow, that's amazing. Like, how cool is that? Um, without, well, just like putting padding in your bra. <laughs> yeah, without any understanding that, okay, once it's in there, what does the body do? You know, how does the body respond to this? Um, what sort of immune system response is it going to have? How are the surrounding tissues going to respond to this this foreign body in there now? Um, and that's what we've described in the scar tissue formation, this integration into tissues, this you know, toxification of surrounding tissues, these potential risks of molds and biofilms and all of these things um, definitely didn't come up in that conversation. So I think, you know, I wouldn't be alone in that uh, that experience in the sense that how often we see these procedures or see these things done, or maybe there's been a a little, you know, awesome little video clip or a little YouTube showing how the, the procedure's done. Whilst it's graphic, it still seems pretty simple. Um, and the, I guess the, the health consequences thereafter are not considered because the aesthetic values of it are so profound and so wanted that we don't actually even consider the other potential risks of it. So, you know, I guess, I guess for ladies, I do ask this question, you know, when it comes to changing the body, um, we can enlarge our breasts, but the underlying reason why we want it in the first place, whether it be acceptance, self-love, whatever the underlying reason is, that doesn't always just go away with the inclusion of augmentation, you know, by changing how the body looks. Um, so I think with these kind of risks at play and some of the consequences that can come of it and to understand that, you know, you could be experiencing many, many years worth of ill health um, unaware that it could be the breast implants causing that and finding it very challenging to find anyone that could possibly draw that link. Um, I would actually ask women to sort of consider their intuition, like look at the mirror and say, do I think these implants are causing my illness? You know, could this be a source of the problem? Because I think for a lot of women, there's a lot of intuition when it comes to this. I know someone who did have it and she always said, I knew it was them. Um, I was talking to you yeah, recently about yeah, her and absolutely. it was interesting to say why. And I'm like, huh? Like, how do you always know? And she's like, I just, I was just never, never well after that. I just never felt 100% well. I mean, my chest looked great. I didn't have any infections after it. The operation went great. The procedure was perfect. Like it was a, a perfect gold star for the whole process, but she just didn't feel well after that. And within weeks, she said she didn't feel well. And to not feel well was mm. a very different experience to what she had felt previously. Um, so for her, it was quite close to the change in her body. And first she just dismissed it down to things like anesthetics and all those other, you know, things that you have to go through in surgical recovery. Um, but after a couple of months, it was quite clear to her that something had changed, whatever it was, and she didn't feel well. So went back, blood test, went through rounds of um, checks to see if there was infection. No, 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 no signs of infection, you know, uh, prophylaxis antibiotics just in case it was applied, but it still didn't change anything. So um, I think, ladies, if you if you feel as though something doesn't seem right, then it's definitely worth trusting that gut feel, trusting that intuition on these things. I just really believe we we kind of deep down know within ourselves if something's not quite right. 
Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point, Ash. Um, and you know what? Some women will have uh, breast augmentation say it's the absolute best thing they've ever done. And I, I just think that's amazing. So it, this is such an individual thing. But ladies, no matter what, um, if you do have them, if you don't, if you want them removed, if you want them to stay, you know, it doesn't matter either way. But just remember, you are, you are absolutely more than your breasts. Um, <laughs> I think that that's uh, probably just an important message for all of us. Um, I know that that's a good message for me too. Um, all right. So ladies, we would love to hear from you. If if this is something that has been coming up for you have you experienced this if so what have you what have you done what steps have you taken to either combat this mitigate it treat it um, have you had them removed have you had breast implants and they are fantastic we want to hear from you no matter what so please make sure that you communicate with us on social media so that is facebook.com forward slash the wellness women we're on instagram at the wellness women official um, if you've got any questions about any of the stuff that came up today or in any other episode please feel free to email us at info at thewellnesswomen.com.au. Ladies, we do have another 28-day hormone reset uh, starting on the 23rd of February. Um, so if you do uh, want to work on your hormones, if you want to improve your health and well-being, then that would be great for you to jump on board. Uh, there will be links um, in this below or you can find it on the website or our social media as well. So ladies, until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.